Lord, we thank you for this opportunity we have to come before you and to lift up your word and to see what you'd have to us to learn from all of this. We ask you to be with us and guide us. Let what you want spoken and let the people hear what you would have wanted to hear. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to start reading at verse 13. We talked about that last week, but I just want to get some context. And we're going to read through the end of uh, chapter 2. As soon as I make sure that what it makes sense. Verse 13, And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your heart, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them all. Let no man, therefore, judge you in meat and drink, or in respect of a holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body of Christ, is, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which you have not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands have nourishment ministered, and knit together increased with the measure, excuse me, increased with the increase of God. Therefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not? which were all were to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things you have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to sat of satisfying the flesh. We're going to look at this, and Paul is talking about how we have been crucified to this world. Now, does this mean because we've been crucified to the world that we can just do whatever we want? In Romans 6, he said, Paul's going to tell the Romans, God forbid that you go and sin just so grace can abound. He goes, we are held to a higher standard, even though we're dead to the standards that he's talking about here. What, and what is the problem with these standards? We're going to look about, at this as Paul talks about this. In verse 16, it says, let no man judge you in meat, in drink, or respect of holy days, or new moons, or Sabbath days. And this judge means that they are not to rule over you. Okay? And this is, we've talked about this. How many times have, have you been around a church that, you know, they'll talk about God's grace, his mercy, and they'll tell you that, you know, God is going to work with you, and then there's these set of rules you've got to follow. <laughs> you know, you can't do this, you can't do that, uh, you know, you know, going way back into the 50s and 40s and 50s, you can't go, you know, can't be a Christian, go to the movies, you can't play cards, women, you've got to wear dresses, men, you can't have long hair. And they give you this long list of rules, they'll tell you that you're saved by grace through faith, and then they'll give you a whole long list of rules and say, but you've got to follow all these rules to be a good Christian. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, you know, for, he's talking to the, the Jewish people, and he goes, there's some of you that are having problems with what you can eat, the meat that you can eat. And in Corinthians, he specifically talks about meat offered to idols. 
And there was a big controversy back, you know, especially with the Jews, you know, they, they had all kinds of meat they couldn't eat anyway. And then they would go, well, you can't eat that meat that you bought at the temple of Zeus that was offered to Zeus. And Paul's going, why not? It's only a big block of stone with some gold covering it, so it's not that big a deal. But he also says, don't, if you don't think it's right, don't do it. If you have no problem with it, go ahead and do it. But he's saying, don't worry about what it is that God is asking you to do. And he goes further and says, and what you shall drink. Now, we've, we know that the Bible condemns being drunk, but it doesn't condemn being people who drink. Now, it's fine line between those two, two points, and each person has to be able to figure out where they're at with it. But, you know, we also have told that, you know, if you're going to do these things, make sure that you're not making a brother or sister stumble on either side. You know, if you've got the freedom to do something and you're sitting down with somebody who thinks it's wrong and you go out to dinner and, you're, and, you're, and you have no problem drinking and you're sitting there with somebody who has a big problem with, with drinking and thinks it's sin, don't order a drink while you're at the restaurant with them. It's not right for them. You don't need to be judging their, their lack of faith. They don't need to be judging you for your freedom. You know, and we do some voluntary things sometimes just to say, I'm not going to do it just because I'm not going to make others fall into judgment. And he's saying, and then he goes into the next part. He goes, talks about in respect of holy days. You know, we just came out of the Christmas season, getting ready to go into the, the resurrection season, and people have problems. There are Christians that get mad at other Christians for celebrating Christmas. Okay? And I understand their problems. I have problems sometimes with Christmas to a degree. It's an it's artificial holiday that's not celebrating Jesus anymore. You know, as long as you celebrate Jesus, be my guest. Celebrate it all you want. But I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, you're a sinner because you're celebrating it. And the same thing when we come to Easter. You know, I, and you know I don't use the word Easter on our services because I don't like the word because it's, it celebrates Estar, the goddess, and not resurrection. So other than that, I want to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. But, you know, if somebody wants to call it Easter, that's between them and God. It's not a problem. You know, but how do we look at this when we're looking at others? Do we say, you know, you're, you're sinning because you're following these holidays? Now, how many of us understand that Sunday is not Sabbath? Sabbath was yesterday. <laughs> okay? And there's a lot of people out there that are really big. You've got to celebrate. You've got to worship God on, on Sabbath day or you are sinning. Paul right here says it's not that big an issue. Why? Number one, we should be worshiping God every day of the week. We gather together as a body of Christ to worship on Sunday. That's not a problem. You know, if you, and Paul is saying, don't judge one another for it. They want to worship on Saturday? Be my guest. You can worship on Saturday. We worship on Sunday? We should have that right to worship on Sunday as well. If we get to heaven and God says, what were you doing on worship on Sunday? We're going to go, well, we did the best we could. <laughs> and we'll lose a reward for worshiping on Sunday. But, you know, I don't think it's wrong. I think he says, worship when we want you know, to worship. And are you worshiping is probably the bigger question. And, you know, we think about this. How many people come to church and they don't come to worship? They come to be entertained. Now, this is a big problem in our generation. There's churches that have high-powered bands with lights and lasers and, and fog machines. And <laughs> you would think you were at a concert. And if people aren't entertained well enough, they go, well, I really wasted my day going to church. You know, you know, we think about this. Why do we come to church? Hopefully it is to worship God. To be built up, to be, 
to be entertained is not what we're looking for. Now, and all of us have preferences in, in worship style. Now, all of us do. The question is, who are we worshiping? Are we worshiping God, or are we looking to be entertained ourselves? And this is what he's saying. Be careful what we're looking for. Be careful about it, because there's, everybody's got these things. And, he's, you know, and then he goes on, new moons and Sabbaths. That's specifically to the Jews. And then what he says about these, all these things that you are worried about are a shadow of what you're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be worshiping Christ, being one in his body. And a very important thing for us as the body of Christ is every one of us are a different piece of the body. Every one of us. You know, and Paul's, I love the in Corinthians where Paul says, well, are all of you an eye? eye? You know, think about a church with nothing but eyes. See everything. See all the problems out there, but not be able to do anything about it. And you go, were all of you an ear? Well, we were all one big ear. We'd hear all about the problems and never be able to do anything about the problems. You, know, you each are gifted in the body for specific tasks that God has asked us to do. There are people in this church and every church out there that are wonderful prayer warriors. When they pray, their prayers get answered. And there's others of us that are just, we struggle with prayer and we do the best we can. We see some prayers answered. We see some prayers not answered. But we do, we pray because we're told to pray. There are certain people that are real prayer warriors. There are certain people that are teachers. And there are some people that try to be teachers that can't teach. <laughs> not in our church, but it's, you know, but it's, it's, I've seen teachers, you know, and going, wow, you know, I don't think this is your gift. <laughs> you know, we look at this and say, what is our gift for God's church? Everything I'm going to tell you is everybody in this room, everybody listening on the internet has a gift for the church that they are supposed to be doing. What that is, I can't tell you most of the time. You have to go before God and say, God, what is it? We have people here that are very wonderful at getting information about the church out to other people and, and increasing knowledge of it. We've got people who are great at service gifts. If something needs to be done, they come in and they take care of it. And most of you probably don't even know who all these people are because they're not looking to be stood up here. You know, and matter of fact, if I asked everybody to come up here that was serving the church in certain ways, they'd probably not want to come up here and be recognized because that's not what they're serving for. They're serving for the body. That would be going to my toe and say, okay, toe, you get up here and stand up. You're going to be honored today because you're my balance. <laughs> you know, most of us would, you know, we laugh about that, but you know, that's the way it's supposed to be in the church. Our service is supposed to be, we're serving the body. Whether we get recognized or not is not what's important is because it's all for his body. And it says, let no man beguile you of your reward. Let nobody cheat you of your reward. Now, how easy is it to be beguiled? You know, it's, you know, I was listening to the Sunday school. They actually, you, know, you guys keep listening to my messages. I don't know what you're doing on my messages, but, <laughs> you know, they talked about false teachers. False teachers can get in under people's skin so easily. They, they give you, they stand up, they say things very authoritatively. You know, we get lots of people in this world who get on the radios and TVs, and they talk very authoritatively, like they know what they're talking about. When you really look at what they're saying, it's a bunch of nonsense, and yet they talk very authoritatively, and this is what false teachers do. They will 
give you all kinds of authoritative statements. They won't quote the scriptures usually because they don't want to quote the scriptures. They don't want to. And people will follow them. And my challenge for our church, as you all know, is I want you to be good Bereans. I want you to get into the Bible. Anything I say, anything you hear on the radio, anything you hear on the TV, get into scripture and check it out. Why? Because if you're checking it out, you will not be beguiled <laughs> away from this. And some of the things he says, the first one is voluntary humility. Have you ever met somebody who tells you how humble they are? You know, they don't really want you to know how humble they are. You know, no humility there at all, but they want to tell you how humble they are. Or they are being humble without the right spirit. You know, they are just you know, debasing themselves, but they have no desire to be humble. You know, if they had their way, they're hoping that everybody sees how humble they are and elevate them for, their hum for the humility. Oh, you're so humble, you're so wonderful, you know, and they're just eating it up. In the churches, we have a lot of that that goes on. Oh, I'm just so humble. <laughs> you know, don't, don't look at me, don't, don't, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't praise me. And the worshiping of angels. Now, it's not as big as it was, but a couple of years ago, we had a lot of shows, a lot of things going on about angels, a lot of teachings about angels, most of it wrong. <laughs> and people were starting to really focus on angels. And you know what? In the scriptures, every time an angel has been focused on, they always point where? Right back to God. <laughs> Don't worship me. That's the one we worship. Don't bow down in front of me. I'm just a servant. Angels don't want the recognition because that's not what they're all about. Now, maybe when we get to heaven, we might have a couple angels we need to say thank you to. <laughs> Especially if you know a point in your life where you probably should have been dead at some point. You might have an angel you might be looking for and saying, yeah, I just want to say thank you. You, you, you kept me alive. Or maybe, maybe when you're in heaven, you'll say, what did you keep me alive for? <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe you're going, if you're so happy where you're at, you're going, you kept me alive so that I could suffer for, you know. But, how important are angels? It's important for us to understand angels, but we do not want to worship angels. Many cults elevate angels to very high opinions and, and worship them. We want to be very careful about our attitude toward angels. Angels are ministering spirits. They protect us. They do the errands for God, and they, they do protect us. Then it says, intruding or investigating into those things which you have not seen, vainly puffed up in your fleshly mind. How many times do we get so focused on trivial issues that we forget what God wants us to do? Things that God doesn't even care about sometimes. You know, I've, I've heard whole long messages sometimes from people you know, I'm going, what was that all about? <laughs> what was the message about? Did you bring somebody to Christ? Did you lift up Jesus? You know, how many people look and say, I want to be the smartest person in this topic? And I've shared with you, there's, there's a set of ex uh, doctrine books. It's probably 20 or 30 books, and it's all about salvation. I don't know that that guy really used his time very, very well. Uh, but it is kind of interesting reading at the same time, it, but it goes into every little tiny point of salvation. Now, we should learn more about our salvation. Salvation is really simple. 
Even the littlest child can understand salvation. You're a sinner. You deserve to be punished by God. And Jesus died for, your, for you so you could go to heaven. Easy message. Anybody can remember. A child can learn that. And it is kind of important to learn that when we're saved, he, he says that we are perfect. He justifies us. He says, I'm going to teach you to be more perfect. He sanctifies us. And the day you die, he is going to make you who he said you were in the beginning. Those things are very important. And there are things we want to learn about salvation. It is very important to learn some of what we, happens to us. We are adopted. We are made children. We are, we are given all the glorious things of heaven. But there is a point where you can start paying attention to things that are, you know, people who study a whole lifetime in angels. You know, let me learn everything there is to know about angels. Well, it wouldn't take you very long. There's not that much in the Bible about angels. It really isn't. We know the names of three angels, and it then tells us that they did things. They served God. Beyond that, there's not a whole lot we can know. But there are some people that put years of study in angels. They're almost worshiping angels. He goes, and we puff up our fleshly minds. Let's learn everything so we can be showing everybody what we know. Now, I'm hoping you're learning things, and I'm hoping that you're able to expand to people that, your information. But are you learning it so that you can look really smart in the church? You know, look at me. I've got all the answers. You liked your poem this morning because <laughs> it was that kind of thing. You know, how many of us have to be right all the time? You know, we just have to be right. It doesn't matter what's said. You know, we, know, we know what it is, and we're going to make sure you know what's right. You know, in most cases, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in many cases. Now, if we're talking about somebody denying that the Bible is absolutely true, that's something that's worth getting all upset about and, and working on them to understand. If we're looking at Jesus being the Son of God, that's something that's worth really pushing. And, and, and if we're talking about him dying for our sins, that's worth pushing. That we talk about him resurrecting from the dead, that's really worth pushing. If it's about how do we, ha how do, we do communion, there's nothing really important about that. There's churches that say you have to be a member. Some that says anybody who's a Christian. Some people say, well, if you, don't, if you haven't been in church for the last few, few weeks, you can't. I mean, all of that is, you know, go to one of those churches. You like it, participate. If you don't like it, be quiet and go out. You know, if it's that big an issue, leave. There's so many things out there that we get wrapped up in that's not important. But, you know, people argue. People will argue over something, and they just have to be right. It's much easier sometimes to say, okay, yes, <laughs> go study it. God will, God will get you on the right page sooner or later. <laughs> you know, and you know what? God will get them on the right page if they really want to be studying. It's very important. You know, I, I love it. I just throw things out. If you want to believe it, it's what you want to believe. If not, and there's times when I teach you things that I believe that not the rest of the Christian world believes that strongly. There are others, and I will tell you. This is my belief. There's others that believe it. But if you don't want to believe it, you're in good company. <laughs> There's lots of other teachers that don't believe it. I don't, I don't need everybody in the church to agree with me. Why? Well, for one thing, I've studied 46 years, and it's taken me a long time to learn what I know. And God has changed my mind over the years about certain things. And he'll change everybody else's mind. And if I'm wrong, he'll change my mind as I'm studying. If you're wrong, he'll change your mind. <laughs> I have full faith in God to grow people. All I'm asking is we get in the word of God. 
I love his word. I love what he can do with it. He says, you do this by not holding to the head. Jesus Christ, lifting up Jesus. And then it says, who fitly joins the body together in joints and, and bands or, or ligaments. He's really talking about the body being held together. How, you know, and I don't want to bore everybody with anatomy, but if you know how the body's held together, you've got your joints where things come together. And then you've got these ligaments that co connect the joints together to the bone, and they hold everything together. They keep it tight. And as we get older, those ligaments stretch, and we get looser and looser joints, and we get sore and sore joints because our body is starting to fall apart. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, we all know that feeling in this room. <laughs> and he says, we need to keep focused on Jesus who holds the spiritual body together. He's the one that keeps the joints tight. He's the one that keeps the ligaments tight. He's the one that supplies the nourishment to each member of the body that it needs. You know, and this is so important. We are one body. Jesus is the head of that body. He is the one that keeps it all put together correctly. You know, and whether it's our body here in Chloride or the bodies in, in Golden Valley or Dolan Springs or Kingman, it's God who's in charge of all of them. The real problem comes when sometimes when people think they're in charge of the, of the body. Whether it be the pastor or the, or the people, they start fighting. <laughs> you know, we need to listen to God. We need to be able to say, God, you're the one that is going to hold this together. And it is wonderful to watch God build a body together and see unity in a body and see the progress of the body that he brings together. And it's all because he puts it all together. And it says that he is the one that takes us out of, in verse 3, wherefore, if you be dead in Christ, okay, if we be dead in Christ, and you know what? We are, if we're his children, we may not think we are, but we are dead in Christ if we're his child. He says, from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? You know, we are dead to the world. And again, we'll go back to the Romans 6. It doesn't mean that we are free to just go out and do whatever we want because we're, we're dead to the, the, the rules. Because if you think about what Jesus did to the rules, when he was talking to them, he goes, you have heard it said that if you, committed, you, know, that if you commit adultery, that you're not to commit adultery. <laughs> he goes, I say to you, if you've looked at the person with lust, you've committed adultery with them in your heart already. He goes, you have heard you shall not commit murder. If you are angry at a brother without cause, you have committed murder already in your heart. Jesus took all the ordinances and rules of the world and intensifies them. <laughs> you know, when we look at it and we say, God, I've got my whole life put together. If you ever get to that place where you think every, that you've got your whole life put together, look out. <laughs> because if you're really following God, he's going to point out to you, you don't have your life put together. You know, you know, every time we think we know about God, whatever we think we know about God, we don't know enough. Whatever we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, whatever you know about grace or what you think you know about grace, you really don't understand grace. What you think you know about love, God will show you you don't know anything about love because you know, maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been to the place where you go, God, I've got this love thing together. I really love all the people that, that I'm around all the time. And as soon as you think that, 
along comes this person who makes you think like you've never known anything about love because they are very hard to love. You know, God, I've really, lo- I've got this forgiveness thing down really pat. I can forgive everybody. Uh-huh. <laughs> you put somebody in your path that really needs to be forgiven. God loves to be able to show us that wherever we think we're at, we're not there yet. We are going to be growing for the rest of our lives. For the rest of our lives, however long that might be, for the rest of our lives, we're going to be growing and learning too. And then he just uh, catches into a couple of these. Touch not, taste not, handle not, when, uh, where are all, which are all to perish with the using. Do you realize that of all the times that you're in a situation, if you're thinking, what should I be doing or should not be doing, you're not quite living the way you're supposed to because it, God says, I want to crucify this. There are things that I hope all of us do, but I know things that I don't do, not because I go, okay, what does the Bible say about this? <laughs> you know, uh, I used to love the, you know, the idea they had the old bracelets in the, you know, the 70s and 80s, uh, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Wonderful thought process, wonderful idea. But if every time you were in a problem, you had to stop and think, okay, what would Jesus do? You'd be doing it for the wrong reasons, first off, because you would be under the rudiments of the world. Touch not, taste not, uh, drink not. You know, it should be, God, you've changed who I am. I am going to forgive this person, not because you said I had to, not because even that I want to. It's what you have changed me to do to be like you, and I'm going to do it. When you get to that point, at least at that level, <laughs> you can say, I've arrived to that level. Now God will challenge you. He'll bring you to the next level. And we've talked about this. The wonderful thing about God is you're never done learning. You know, we're never done learning. Every time we think we've learned a lesson, he'll take us to the next level. You, know, you, you graduated kindergarten, you get to go to first grade. <laughs> you, know, you graduated from high school, you get to go to college. <laughs> You, get, you know, in your college degree, you'll take you into your master's and your doctorate and whatever else. You'll keep making your tests harder. But you know that's good news because he is still working on us. He wants to make us so much like him. His goal is to make us a reflection of himself. So that when we deal with people, what do they see? They see God. And I, I love watching the lives in this church as they're changing and people reflect more and more of God more and more of his love, more and more desire to know him in a deeper way, being more and more forgiving, and also knowing that they've got a lot more further to go, just like I have a lot further to go. <laughs> and hopefully we'll all learn to forgive each other and build each other up and be able to say, you know, I really like what you're doing. I want to see you keep moving forward. <laughs> he says, these things indeed show of a wisdom. You know, when we live under these rules and regulations, we look like everything's good. You look at somebody and say, oh, you're a really good Christian. You, you don't drink. You don't do this. You don't do that. You don't do that. You're, you're really good. And what is Paul saying is, if you're doing it for those reasons, it's just appearance of wisdom. In will, worship, and humility. This is kind of an interesting term. I don't know if any of you noticed it, ever noticed this word, because I didn't notice it until I first started studying this for this week. Will worship. That is an act of the will. I am going to worship him 
because I'm told to worship him, so therefore I will worship him. Hopefully, you come to a place where you just want to worship God. I have times when I just, you know, a lot of times when I'm crossing the prison yard, I'll, I'll just be singing a song and talking to God as I cross the yard and get to the end and go, wow, that was kind of interesting. I just had a wonderful time with God. Not because I chose to, not just because he's done it. Hopefully you've come to that place where you have those times when you are just worshiping God because you and he are so close together that you worship him. That you think about these verses, and we've been working on some verses, and I hope that as you're learning these verses, they're not just exercises in memory. I hope that there's something that says, this is a real verse for my life. Because I can tell you, when I first learned learning these verses many, many years ago, most of them were just an exercise in memory. I was asked to memorize these in the discipleship class. I memorized them. It's taken me 30 years for most of these verses to finally, all, all of a sudden, hold it. This verse has meaning. <laughs> They're not just words. I was working with the youth at a previous church and the big memorization program and they started to not like me because I asked them, what does this verse mean that you just quoted to me? They go, what? That's, that's, I didn't need to know that. I go, well, I'm asking you. <laughs> what does this verse mean? Because it's important. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Do you understand the power of that verse? Okay, God is wanting to forgive us, not for our salvation, for our fellowship with him. If we have sin in our heart, we have no fellowship with God. If we have no fellowship with God, we will not have fellowship with his people. That is proper fellowship. And if we're not having fellowship with his people because we're looking at the sin in our life, we will eventually leave all aspects of God. It's a very powerful verse. But all I've got to do is confess to him. Confess, homo logeo, say the same thing. God, it is wrong. Not God, I did this because, you know, how many of you have ever apologized to somebody in your apology? Well, if you hadn't done this, I wouldn't have done this, but I'm sorry I responded this way. Not much of an apology, is it? <laughs> you know, you made me do this, but I'm going to tell you I'm sorry anyway because I'm really not sorry, but I just, I'm, you know, I want you to make you think I'm sorry. God is looking for us to say, I am sorry. God, it was sin. You know, it works really well when we're even talking to other people just to finally say, you know, I am really sorry I did whatever it was and be very sorry that you did it. Whether, whether you feel justified on it doesn't really matter. Being able to tell somebody, I am sorry that I reacted this way. You know, it, oftentimes it doesn't matter whether we were right. Doesn't matter whether Romans 8.28 came through and it worked out together for good. If it's still wrong, we need to be able to tell them, I'm sorry. He says, out of real worship and humility and neglecting the body not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh, neglecting the church, neglecting the head. You know, when we start not living according to our flesh being crucified, harm is done to the church, we will start neglecting the church. We will start neglecting the word. You know, what usually happens when somebody has sin in their life it's kind of interesting as a, over the years as I've watched, even before I was a pastor, I, was, I would watch this. You'd see somebody who were in church every time the doors were open. Then they would start falling into a sin. 
and they would stop coming to services. And next thing you know, you'd be asking them to pray. No, I don't have time to pray. Okay, and then you'd be talking to them about, you know, well, what, what, what has God taught you in the Bible? What have you read in the Bible this week? Oh, haven't read the Bible. And then the next thing you know, they're not even coming to church at all. Why? Well, we've all been there. What happens when you have sin and you come to church? You have a sin in your life. Well, number one, the, the pastor almost always speaks about that sin, or at least it seems like he always speaks about that sin. And you're thinking, well, gosh, how, how has pastor been knowing all this? Who's talking to him? And you start getting convicted because the Sunday school teacher starts talking about the sins in your, in your life, and the people around you are talking about the sins in your life, and the pastor's talking, and the Holy Spirit is talking to you about your, and you just decide, well, everybody knows what I'm doing, so I'm not coming to church anymore. And it may be years till you come back. And as a matter of fact, it's nobody knows anything about it. They're just being led by the Holy Spirit to speak. You know, over the years, I've had my toes stepped on so many times by pastors. There's times in the car on my way to work that I'll hear some pastor speak, and I'm going, okay, this guy spoke this message 15 years ago, uh, and it's hitting me between the eyes today. We need to be sensitive to these things and say, God, I repent. Help me to grow in this area. Because that's all he's wanting us to do is grow. He wants us to grow and grow. And we've mentioned this. You know, all of us have had children in our life or grandchildren in our life or nieces or nephews in our life. You know, uh, those babies don't stay babies very long. Yeah. Actually, they grow up too fast sometimes, it seems like. <laughs> but if they did stay a baby, wouldn't we be concerned? You know, matter of fact, in the medical world, it's called failure to thrive. This baby isn't growing. And it bothers the parents. It bothers the medical establishment. How many people do we have as Christians that are failing to thrive? They have not grown. They are still that baby laying on their back, needing their diaper changed, <coughs> needing formula, and never growing. And God says, no, I want my children to grow. I want to see them grow up. Paul is saying, you do this, but not out of your will. Our flesh is crucified and Christ lives in us. <coughs> Excuse me. And he comes out of us. He is the one that changes us. And we've talked so often about this. How do we change? Not because I sit there and say, I will change, I will change, I will change, because if I say I will change, I will change, I won't change. <laughs> okay? I may look like I have changed. I may look real good for a long period of time. But you know what? God is real good at proving to you that you have not changed. God, I, I am really forgiving. I can forgive everybody I come across. I have got this forgiveness thing down. Okay. Here, forgive this person <laughs> who does something really awful to you, whatever that might be, whatever awful would be in your, in your life. Yeah. And God says, okay, let's see how good you are. <laughs> yeah. Will your will take you through this? God, I've got my anger. I haven't been angry at anybody for a long time. Oh, so many of us have a problem with anger. <laughs> and all of a sudden, something will come along, and we will just lose our cool and end up saying or doing something we shouldn't have done. Maybe not, sin, not something that's going to put us in prison, but something that just tears our testimony to pieces. Be hidden in Christ. Be, be crucified in the flesh. 
You know, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live, I live according to faith in him. He is the one that gives us the strength. He is the one that builds us up. He is the one that will glorify us in the long run. Because that's what he's wanting to do. When we get to heaven and we see what he has done through us and we get the rewards for what he has done for, for us, we will have some, some position of authority in heaven. What that is, I have no idea. All I know is he says the people who are faithful on this world will be used in heaven for eternity. I have thought about this so many times. The short time we live on earth, the short time we live on earth, let's say you even really did really well, you lived like the patriarchs of old and lived to be a thousand years old. From an eternal perspective, that's a short time. 20 trillion years from now, whatever you've done on this world is what you will be blessed with or not blessed with <laughs> having to deal with. The authorities, the positions, the rewards will be there for you. You know, I said 20 trillion, you could go, you know, Googleplex if you want, you know, however big number you can come up with down the road. What we did in this little short time on this world is what we'll be blessed with for eternity. And eternity is a long time. And what we reject from God will be the rewards we don't get for eternity. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, we ask that you help each one of us learn to be crucified and to live in you and through you, that you will be exalted in our life and that you will change who we are because of our crucifixion in you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.